You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm actually going to go to the verses at the end, so, so just stay in Ephesians 1 for a second, but Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to see that the, the last part of Ephesians chapter 5, if you look in there in verses 21 through 33, in Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 33, I recently did a message that highlighted some of the verses that were in here, talking specifically about the marriage relationship. And in fact, the series that we did uh, all the way back in August 27th, it was a series we were in as a church called Under My Roof. We talked about marriage, and I actually spoke on this. Because of time this morning, I am not going to reach uh, this passage of scripture from Ephesians. So I'm encouraging you, go back and listen to this. The other thing I wanna tell you is, is Pastor Jason, the teaching pastor, is actually gonna be in Simpsonville, uh, not Simpsonville, he's gonna be in Greenville next week, and he's actually gonna be looking at this passage of scripture, and that message will be on the podcast. So if you wanna hear the things that God has placed on his heart to share, you can listen to the podcast. He won't be in Simpsonville next week, he'll be in Greenville, but you can listen to the Greenville podcast if you wanna hear this section. So having said all that, let's now go to Ephesians 5, verse one, and we're not reading the entire chapter, but there is some incredible, weighty, powerful, and meaty things in here. And again, I can't do it all justice. I encourage you to do study on your own, but there are some incredible things in here that impact every single one of us in this room. Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse one. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. By the way, I think it's beautiful. His sacrifice was for us, but his sacrifice was to God. He did it as a sacrifice to God for us. It's just beautiful. Anyway, verse three. But among you, there must be not, uh, excuse me, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So let's stop there and go to the sexual immorality piece. I know a lot of you are gonna want me to say, because the world that we live in, it's a free-for-all. There's all kinds of crazy things that are being taught, broadcast, believed, lived. But I wanna pause for a second to acknowledge that sexual sin has impacted all of us in this room. In fact, just that, that, that thing in the world that we live in is so massive. I, I've, I've been very open with you guys as a church how I in my life have been, at moments of my life, been deeply addicted to pornography. And I'd be willing to guess that just that one thing in this room is prevalent. And how could it not impact our lives? How could it not impact our relationships? This is not a small thing. So I wanna wanna take you to a time in my life that led me on a path of that addiction. Now, to explain this path in my life, I wanna do this, I wanna give you some context. I grew up in a missionary home. I grew up living in lots of different countries and my parents being missionaries were very careful and protective over the things that I watched. Like my parents, I grew up, did not let me watch He-Man, which I'm like, what is your problem? It's He-Man, by the power of Grayskull. I I get it now, but as a kid, I'm like, 
And they didn't let me watch the Smurfs, which I thought was kind of weird. Like, just a bunch of little blue people, and like, I don't know. I, they were, my mom in particular was very careful over what I watched. Who grew up like that, anybody? Okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so what I would do as a kid is our neighbor, we were living in Peru, our neighbor had a TV. I would sneak over to their house and I'd watch all the shows. And I know you didn't do that because you were perfect, but I grew up pretty sheltered. And I went to private schools in a very sheltered environment. And, and in my high school years, I felt the call to ministry. And so I went to college to study to do ministry. And while in college, I was a double major and one of my majors was Spanish and part of, and I was an international studies major with a focus on world missions, believing that God was gonna lead me to the mission field. And while doing that, one of the things I had to do was do a study abroad. So I chose to go to Spain. I was like, how cool would it be to live in Spain? And so I went to Spain. Now, right before I went to Spain, I said something in my heart, which was, still affects me to this day. I said, God, I'm gonna give and serve you with the rest of my life, but these next six months when I'm in Europe, these are my time. This is my time. By the way, that little, yeah, you already, yeah, you're like, oh. That's exactly what I said. So I get to Spain, and I've lived Previous to Spain, I've lived in five countries. I've seen all kinds of cultures. I've been in lots of environments. I was not prepared for Spain. We lived with two sweet ladies. They were older. They were sisters. That's where they put us up to live. And we got to their house. And it was, first of all, they would do lunch at like 2.30 in the afternoon. And then they had a nap. First of all, God bless that culture. It shuts down and you have a nap after a big meal at lunch. Like that was like, what else do I need? This is it right here. And then they would do dinner at like 9.30 at 10 p.m. at night. And the way we ate in our home was we ate at a table, seated together with me and my roommate and these two sweet Spanish ladies watching TV. And the thing that I wasn't prepared for was how unbelievable Spain was with nudity. They had zero censorship. We'd be sitting there and it first caught me off guard. We're eating a nice little dinner with my two Spanish little ladies and we're watching a commercial for shampoo. It's like head and shoulders. All of a sudden it pans and the woman is just naked in the shower. And I'm like, I like guess it's just the most awkward, like, have you ever watched a scene and your parents are in the room or your grandparents? And you're immediately like, oh, like this? And I, I immediately, I'm like, this is awkward. And the ladies are like, just going on, like it's not a big deal. And that was my first, like, this place is a little bit different. And this is the day, this is the early 2000s. This is when you went to cyber cafes for internet. I'd go to a cyber cafe to send emails or communicate with my parents who at that point were living in Nicaragua. And when I went into the cyber cafes, and, and for those young people who have no idea what I'm talking about, they had computers lined up in buildings that you could go and use to access the internet. And this is, you don't even know this, you had to dial into the internet. And it made a sound that feels like if you heard it today, a nuclear a bomb would be like armed. And AOL would give you 10,000 free hours. Like, come on in. And you go to a cyber cafe and what blew me away was you'd go in and the amount of computers that were just in front of everybody looking at pornography was like, everybody. And you just, it was right there. And it was just so prevalent. And I remember being out with, with friends that I had met in the school and we're just at like a tapas place and we're just out at this place and everyone's all of a sudden, we're out, it's like a dinner night, it's like 10 because you eat dinner around 10, all of a sudden in this market complex that we're at, one of the places decided to do a live strip show. Now this is missionary kid Jeremy and I'm at a place trying to embrace another culture and I look over and there's a live striptease and I'm a college young man 
listen, you can say, look away, look away, look away, but the more you say look away, the more you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> They had zero censorship. And then the television at night would turn off at a certain point, not super late. It would turn off like at 11 or 12, and all the shows would go off on, on the channels, and they would just place pornography. And it sucked me in. And and I was, I found myself in a lot of shenanigans. Now I'm gonna show you a picture of me. You're gonna say, that doesn't look like you. I understand I haven't aged as gracefully as the picture might seem. This is skinny Jeremy with hair. But I wanna show you, this is me in Spain with one of my buddies. This is one of the guys I traveled Europe with. That environment, plus having some other college kids, and I'm gonna tell you something about Europe. They know how to party. Some of the clubs that we went to did not open until 5 a.m. You know the party doesn't stop when at 5 a.m. a club opens up. And this became the world that I began living in. And it was fun. That's, that's, the, that's the thing that, like I grew up and it was always like, if you did anything like that, the ground would swallow you whole, lightning bolts would strike you. And I wanna tell you something, it was fun until it wasn't. <laughs> this, this is what, actually it's this next picture is ridiculous. It's the, one of the professors. I don't know what my expression is here, by the way. I can't explain it. I, he was one of my favorite professors that we had there. They weren't Christian professors, even though it was through a Christian school. I don't remember anything he said, but I remember this phrase. This just tells you what it was like there. In class one time, he was talking about the pervasiveness of nudity in Spain, and he said this. He goes, I don't, seeing a woman naked's not a big deal. He goes, I, it's not a big deal to see a woman naked. He goes, I just see them all the time. They're there. And I remember him specifically saying it was just like nothing to see it. And something in my heart sank and said, how did it get to that? Where something so beautifully sacred has become so just And so I found myself getting into unbelievable levels of trouble. I was the guy that most women hated. I can charm a room, I can, I can be sneaky, and I can lie, and I can know how to get what I want, and I did. And I was studying to be a missionary. So Paul opens up and he writes in Ephesians 5, and he says, he says, sexual immorality. This is something that has impacted all of us in this room. Now, now sex is like, is like fire. And fire in the right parameters, in the right context can be incredible. I, okay, I, I, I was gonna say fire. Okay, no, no I'm not, okay. Look. <laughs> I was gonna say fire. Uh, no, okay, stop. <laughs> fire in the right parameters can be incredible. When you, have a, when you have your family sitting around a fire, when you're in a fire pit, and when the parameters are there, it's awesome. But do you know what fire can also do? It can burn you. It can, it can absolutely char you. And I would be willing to bet that there's a lot of people who are seated here today who have burns because of the past. And you come to church, and you don't know how to adjust because there's one thing I know about the enemy, that while God is full of grace, that the enemy is full of shame. 
Now, in my life, with the pornography that I've wrestled with and been addicted to in this world of partying in Spain and sending me down these paths over and over again, you know what the enemy has done? You're never good enough, you're never good enough, you're never good enough, Jeremy. Look at who you are. If they knew who you really were, you could never do it. Shame is prevalent right here. This is not some like, this is, this is not some pie in the sky philosophy. Paul is writing about something that impacts all of us in this very room. And by the way, can you imagine, for, for those of us who are parents, what it would have been like for us if we grew up with cell phones that could access stuff instantly? It's just, and that's just one element of sexual immorality. This is heavy stuff. It's a big deal. Let's keep writing. Let's keep writing. Let's keep reading. Not, uh, let's see, where were we? Uh, because, uh, let's go back to the three. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this, you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. By the way, can we pause for a moment? Our world has embraced a free-for-all. Does it seem like our world has figured out how to live happily? And so when it talks about God's wrath, there's consequences for doing things outside of how God wants it to happen. And we're out on our own doing these things. Therefore, it says this, do not be partners with them. Verse eight, for you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things. The first is this, I wanna highlight. Paul writes and he gives us and he says very clearly that we have a choice. He says we have a choice as to how we're gonna live. And he says, he, he says in this choice, you have to make sure that your life is pursuing after the path that God wants. As someone who is no longer in darkness, you have to choose for yourself to be someone who runs after to discover, God, what pleases you? What is your will? And how can my life align with that? But it's a choice we have to make. Now, as a pastor, I get a chance to do weddings. And one of the parts of the wedding that's the most significant, I believe, is the moment of vows. It's the moment where people make a declaration from one to the other, I vow this to you. Something that people don't realize though, ready? is that the word vow comes 
ultimately from a Latin word, which means votum, which actually means the word vote and the word vow have the same root. So when you go to vote, you are actually making a vow, this is who I choose, this is what I choose. And one of the things that I have acknowledged and I wanna see as a, as a pastor is this, is that a lot of times when we're led by feelings, we don't realize that we unconsciously give away our right to choose. We just go with whatever feels best in the moment. And being led by feelings will only ever lead down destructive paths. But if we vow, choose, and say, okay, God, that's what Paul is writing here. In your choice, what is it that you choose? Then we can choose to be able to follow the Lord. We can choose to see what pleases him. It leads to an unbelievable life. But I wanna peel back for a second because this is where I believe the enemy does his most work. The enemy comes to us in these moments to try and trick us, to get us to choose poorly, to choose based on our feelings and to go down dark paths. So I wanna talk about this. And what I wanna do is I wanna take you to the very beginning, Genesis chapter three. These verses are gonna be on the screen. But I want you to see the very beginning of what originally led sin to come into our world. You know the story. You probably grew up hearing it in Sunday school. You've heard it preached before. But Genesis chapter three, one through six, the verses will be on the screen. And I want you to see something in here that impacts how we choose. Verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat a fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit on the tree was good for, uh, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it, ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then sin enters into the world. And the reason I bring this up is because so when, we were, when my wife and I were living in Nicaragua, we had a ministry center in the middle of town in a place called Monsignor Lascano. And we would have kids and student ministry and it was an incredible ministry center that got opened the door. Right across the street from our, our church ministry center was a park and it had a soccer court and it had some playground stuff um, and it was a, a couple of, of like kiosks or places where people could get some, some food to eat. And one of the nights that we were having service for our teenagers it was pouring down rain outside. I mean, it was just like an oblivion of rain. I mean, it was just coming down like crazy. And service was over, and we were all hanging out with teenagers, and they didn't wanna leave yet because it was pouring down rain. They didn't wanna walk home, and so we're all kinda hanging out. All of a sudden, one of the teenagers looks back and yells at me and says, someone is being robbed at the park. And it happened to be that an older gentleman who had been walking home was caught out in the rainstorm and they could see that in the rain, what he decided to do was to go into the park and to hide himself under the roof of one of the kiosks that was there. And, and they, they, it seemed like he had come from church. He had his Bible in his hand and he was soaking wet. And, and one of the students saw him go under that and it was a dark place, but right across the street from our center. And as soon as he got into that dark place to try and get out of the rain to dry off, someone that had been hiding in the dark popped out 
punched him a couple of times, grabbed his watch, grabbed his Bible, grabbed his wallet, and took off running. And the old gentleman was left standing, soaking wet, having been punched, having been shocked, and was just, didn't know what to do. No one knew that in the shadows, the thief was lurking. And that's exactly what our enemy does. He lurks and he waits for all of us, seemingly when our guard is dropped, to wait to say, what about this thing? And then the enemy does something that we see in Genesis chapter three that we've all experienced in our life. You know what, the, you know what, Satan's, you know what Satan says to Eve? God's withholding good things from you. God doesn't want you to have this tree. God knows that if you eat of this tree, you're gonna be able to see things and know things that you don't know now. And in Eve's heart, she began to believe, God is withholding good things from me? This one thing impacts all, how, how have we not thought this? Is God withholding good things from me? And we look at others and we think, well, God must not like me as much as he likes them. How come they have it better? How come their life is easier? How come they're, you name the list. And this idea that somehow God withholds good things from us is the very same thing that he, the enemy uses over and over again in our life. And when we believe that God withholds good things from us, we no longer trust God, and then all of a sudden we trust ourselves. And you see Eve in Genesis 3 say, and she looked at it and it looked good to her, which is the very thing the enemy does. The enemy separates you from God to make you believe that God's withholding good things, and then he says, look over here, this is pretty. And we've all fallen into that trap over and over and over again. And it's the pattern that repeats itself. And in fact, I want you to see this, ready? And it leads us to dark places. So, darkness, what Paul writes about in this, is selfish living. He talks about greed. It's all about us. And you know, something I've learned about darkness is that entitlement never brings peace. And do you know what, when, when, when we believe that, I, my kids this last week, I don't know, you, you may not know this is a thing. I didn't know it was a thing. Skateboards for your fingers? <laughs> Whoever invented that, like, skateboards for your fingers? Now, I have a 10-year-old and a five-year-old, and the moment that my five-year-old son saw his older brother with fing, uh, fingerboard skate, uh, I don't even know how to, skateboard, what? Tech tech, sure. The moment that my five-year-old my five-year-old saw his older brother with that, he said, How come I don't have that? How come you don't love me to get me that? And he's like, got all the toys. Ingrained in us is this idea that somehow the enemy does this. He hides in dark places and says, God's withholding good things from you. And then do you know what happens? You become the center of the story, and you know what happens? Now you give yourself permission to go and do things that you know otherwise you would never do. And the cycle repeats itself. And Paul steps in and he says, enough's enough. Enough's enough. Darkness is one thing. And that question, is God withholding good things from you, is something that I've wrestled with in my life. You know that older gentleman that I told you got robbed at the park? Well, we had an outreach to teenagers in Nicaragua and a lot of these teenagers were pretty rough. Like they were kids who came off the street that had never gone to church before. And so the moment that they saw an older gentlemen getting robbed, several of them said, we're gonna go get that thief. And several of them started pulling out knives in the church building. I didn't know they had them. One kid pulled out a full machete. I'm like, where was that at the whole time? Like, where's our safety team? Who's doing a check here? 
like, I'm watching him. It was like a Excalibur sword. He's like, whoosh, whoosh. I'm like, what is happening right And they bust out of our building. This is nuts. They bust out of our building and start chasing the thief in the streets in the pouring down rain. I have never seen anybody in my life run faster than that thief. There was 25 young men, some of them armed, who were gonna hunt that guy down and get his stuff back. And I'm like, <laughs> it all happened so fast, I'm like trying to contain stuff. I'm like watching this play out. The, the thief got away. He climbed up on roofs of houses and then just disappeared into the night. But I thought about the young men and how were they like, that's not right. Something, someone should do something. And they said, we're gonna do something. And they went and chased him. In Genesis three, the moment that, that, that Adam and Eve sinned, in the moment where we went down wrong paths, you know what God said? I'm gonna do something about this. And right then God said, I have a plan to destroy the enemy's plans. And from the seed of a woman, I will send someone who will crush the enemy. And there's nothing the enemy can do about it. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And so that question, is God withholding anything from us, is answered for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he would withhold no good thing from any of us in this room to remove us out of darkness to things that bind us and bring shame, to, to, to things that burn us and wound us and hurt us and destroy families and knock down generations, that God in his infinite goodness looked at sin entering in the world and said, I am gonna do something about this. And then we say, well, is God withholding good things from us? No. When you look at the cross, and it says earlier in Ephesians, you read it, Christ willingly gave himself as an offering to bring you and I into the light. No one else is like him. And this, this coming into the light is this, living with nothing to hide and there's more to life than just us. So I wanna do something. I do have one more point, although I'm totally out of time. So I'm debating in my mind what to do. I'm gonna do this. I, if you have not made the decision to wanna to be able to come into the light, and this question, is God withholding good things from you? I wanna give you the opportunity to choose to come into the light this morning. And the Bible says in Romans 10, it says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, then we are saved. If we do these things, that's where salvation comes into light. And this world of darkness that Paul writes about no longer has to be ours. And if we do that, if we do that, then we are saved. God provides a way out. And he does it through his son, Jesus. So I want you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you have not made that decision and you want to this morning, where every head is bowed and eyes closed, all you have to do is repeat after me. No one is looking. And this prayer is the confession of your mouth and it reflects what you believe in your heart. Just repeat these words. Dear Jesus, I believe you came, died, and rose again. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins 
and that you would take all of my past mistakes and transform me from the inside out. I invite you into my life that I may live for you as your word teaches because living for you is better than anything else. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I have, we're out of time, but I wanna do this. I'm gonna just show my last point. I'm not gonna illustrate it. Here's my last point, ready? What Paul writes in Ephesians 5 is it's not hard, it's impossible. When it comes to following God, if you've made that decision to be able to follow Jesus, by the way, if you have, please come talk to us at the prayer team up front. We would love to pray with you, continue to walk with you. But after you've made that choice to be able to follow Jesus, to go from darkness into the light, can I just tell you, it's not hard, it's impossible. And let me just follow it up with this. It's not hard, it's impossible on your own. A lot of times we try and do it on our own and God never called us to do things on our own. He called us to do them with him. So church, we love you. Man, thank you for a great day. Hope you have a great Sunday. We will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.